welcome to the Your Confident Self Podcast with Allegra Sinclair. Get ready to punch fear in the throat and gain confidence like never before. I help corporate women get the confidence to ask for the job they want and do the work they love. Isn't it time you got unstuck and showed the world how fabulous you are? Hey, this is Allegra. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. My guest today feels like family. I have known her, I think, when we were talking earlier, we figured out it might be about 17 years. Wow, I know some people aren't that old who are listening to the show right now, but we have known each other for about 17 years, and she's definitely chosen people. She's one of those people who I met and instantly liked, and it is not that way with everyone. She is so confident in her spot and confident in her skills And she's definitely one who knows how to punch fear in the throat, which you know we love around here. She is also an award winner in two different careers. So when we met, she was in her former career as an award-winning public relations professional. She has now shifted, made the big, scary career pivot, and is focused on film, writing, directing, and producing films, not just for entertainment's sake, but to make the audiences laugh, cry, think, and see the world differently, and her insights on being true to who you are and walking through this journey of life with grace are going to rock your socks. Help me welcome today's guest, Anna Lydia Monica. Anna! I was going to offer a thank you on um, Fat Albert. I was going to go, Anna, welcome to the show. Hello, Allegra. So good to be with you. So one of the things I was most excited to talk with you about, besides the fact that it has been way too long, I started going back through our email threads for how long we have known each other, and I think it is 20 years. We've known each other. Think about it. I has to be, because I have lived in North Carolina now, I think, either 14 or 15 years. And we met when I was at Jenner Mills in Minnesota. So it's at least... 16 or 17 years ago. Oh my God. We cannot tell people how old we are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I lie all the time. Some days I have lied so much about how old I am. I honestly can't remember. (laughs) I have to stop and think to myself, wait, what year was I born? Because I don't know. In the South, it's like rude to ask a woman how old she is, which is why I can't leave the South. (laughs) Because if I go go somewhere else, they may think that's an appropriate question. But it has been at least 17 years. Oh my God. I was a baby publicist when you met me too. I know. And you are the, you and John Echeveste are the uh, authors of the only starstruck tongue-tied moment I have ever had. Stop. Because I've been, it is true, and I'm about to embarrass you a little bit by telling you what happened. So all my listeners will know, yes, Anna did this to me. So we were in New York at the Hispanic National Parade, or the Puerto Rican National Parade, and I had been telling you how I had a crush on a particular actor, and that I don't get starstruck. And I talked about all these actors I'd met and all these athletes I'd worked with. And I was like, oh, no, I'm always cool. And we were in the tent waiting for the tricks rabbit to get in a big old cereal bowl and motor on down the street. And at this moment, I had already met Jennifer Lopez. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's lovely and she's tiny. She looks like a little beautiful porcelain doll, a toffee-skinned porcelain doll. So I'm all in my moment. I'm like, yeah, I don't get starstruck. And then John tapped me on the shoulder. And then you said, turn around. And I turned around. And who's standing there? Do you remember? I don't remember. 
Oh my gosh, the worst moment of my life, and you don't remember. It was Jimmy Smith. Oh my God, I do remember. <laughs> you said, see, I thought we were friends. You said, turn around. I turned around, and there was the six foot three ness of Jimmy to the forking Smith. And I lost my mind. I lost my mind. I didn't scream, thankfully, but I did look at him and go, oh my God, do you know who you are? And I was like, did I just say that out loud? I was horrified. That was hilarious. I said to Jimmy Smith, do you know who that you are? Who funny. I forgot that's where I met him. And it was life-changing for me in more ways than one. So I managed to love you past that event, and I still do, but I still remember that as the only time I have ever been starstruck, starstruck. And as I sit here, I honestly can't remember what I said after you know who you are, because I'm pretty sure my soul left my body for about 20 minutes. And I do remember him being gracious and lovely and me thinking, he's awful pretty in person. That is all I can remember <laughs> of that experience. He was and then the rest of gorgeous. He was, but he was young. Oh. Was talking 17, 16 years ago, he was really young. He was like at his peak. He was really manly. I can't remember what he was working oh, on. And, oh my God. I don't care. <laughs> It was probably NYPD Blue. I don't care. What I care about is that I was mortified that I wasn't my usual gracious self. And I will always, I hold it against John more because John set it up. But you set me up. But John set it up. But we're going to put all that behind us because that seems like a lifetime ago, right? Oh, my God. So, so long ago. So long ago. So tell me a little bit. I know, but tell my audience a little bit about what you're doing now. Well, I'm a filmmaker. So I write, produce, and direct um, content, whether it's features or short films. And I also get hired to work on feature films and commercials as a script coordinator, as a writer, and as a production coordinator as well. So do my own, and I get hired to work on other people's stuff as well. Amazing. So when I knew you, you were working at a boutique PR agency that specialized in uh, Latina, Hispanic, what's the right term? It was Hispanic PR and the reason Hispanic, PR. Hispanic okay. PR and the reason I was hired and I don't know if you recall, but I was one of the very, very few people at the time that did bilingual bicultural outreach. Yes. And I was focused on reaching like the younger, more acculturated Latino market across the, the U.S. And we still weren't doing social media, but I was doing like really interesting, like experiential type things. And this is how I ended up on, on um, working with you because we had like the circus and we had the experiential activities that we were doing around tricks and the brand, et cetera, in General Mills. We were doing things. Yes, remember yes, that? Yes. We were doing things that yes. were really unique and different. And if people think like, oh, Latinos are everywhere now. And to the point where there's so many Latinos, people think we're part of the general market. Um, but at the time, there really, I mean, there was an explosion of Latino media, but there wasn't an explosion of media that was inclusive to like a second generation college educated bilingual, bicultural Latino. So we had to create. Exactly like events and activities and partnerships and um, reach out to publications and media that were a match for, for that audience. And that literally 
built my career because I was working with you and I was working with Mervins um, before Target came to um, LA to Southern California. And I was doing like a fashion beauty, basically everything that I still do, like fashion, beauty, travel, entertainment, and food, food culture. When you started working with, um, because when you started working with General Mills, obviously we weren't the first clients you worked with. So tell me what attracted you to PR and how did you feel about it as a career when you were doing it? Uh, People are going to be surprised. I had no interest in PR whatsoever. (laughs) Zero. I had no idea what it was. Never even heard of PR. Um, We're talking like 20 years ago. Like kids from the Valley, like I had no idea what PR was. Um, I knew that I wanted to work... Some, somehow related to fashion and an industry somewhat related to fashion. I knew that I didn't want to be a designer or, or, or work so, you know, or sewing. I, I knew I didn't want to be in the, the technical aspects of the business, but I wanted to be part of it. And I wanted to be close to entertainment because again, um, I was Hispanic and there was no one in my family telling me like, Hey, you can be a writer. You can be a director. These are things that I was told they were hobbies. Um, writing was definitely a hobby or that's the way it was seen in my family. So I had to get some kind of a business degree if I didn't want to be a doctor or a lawyer or um, an accountant. And the closest thing that I could find was marketing. And people have to remember like back then, like 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, there was no such thing as on, an online space where you can go and do surveys and little tests. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you couldn't like go online and, and get like a quick little snippet about a school and their mate. Like you knew nothing. You basically just knew whatever your high school counselor told you. My parents were middle class and they, you know, their belief was it doesn't really matter what school you go to. Boy, were they wrong. But they were like, it doesn't matter what school you go to. You just need to get a degree and get a job and, and you know, build your career. And look, you're going to have all these things like we do, right? You're going to have the house. You're going to have the kids. You're going to have magically magically, once you go to college. And we all found out that was not true. I do remember getting into like a, I think it was like a Washington DC trip for scholars or something like that. And my parents were really strict and they didn't let me go. (laughs) And I remember the professor going to my parents um, and saying, this is a really good opportunity for your daughter. Like, she's one of the few students that's going to be able to go. And I'm going to help her get into USC. And, you know, she's going to do good. And my parents are like, no. Like, she's got to stay home. She's going to go locally. We're going to get her a car, which they did. They got me a new Toyota. And wherever she can go wow. to, that's where she's going to go. She doesn't have to pay rent. She doesn't have to pay for food. She doesn't even have to work, but she's not going to go anywhere. So in your parents' eyes, or I won't just say it was parents, but right, we all have a community that surrounds us and suitable career aspirations were doctor, lawyer, accountant, or business. business. Yep. And business meant marketing. So you studied marketing and then ended up in PR how? I volunteered at a big fashion show. It was the Macy's Passport Fashion Show here in Santa Monica. And I was stuck um, helping press going in and out of the event. And they had a reporter or journalist that came from one of the Spanish language publications that couldn't speak English 
So they looked at me or they started asking around. I don't think they targeted me, but I think they started asking around volunteers and everyone. And in a very typical fashion space, nobody could speak Spanish. And I raised my hand and I said I could. So I ended up guiding the, um, the reporter on the events, giving, you know, giving her access to the celebrities and the designers, taking her backstage, helping her with a story. And I believe she said, you're a really good publicist. Little did she know I was just a volunteer. And that's when right. it, like, it got in my head. I'm like, oh, so this is publicity. Um, I had no way, no access, didn't know anyone in that space. Somebody had told me that Woodbury University in Burbank had a really good PR communications. I think it was a PR program. Um, and they would hire and they help people get hired at different jobs and uh, give them opportunities. And they suggested I go meet with them. So I do remember going to the campus and going to the career center and there was like walls of like opportunities. And one of the opportunities was that the media, media city center, which was a mall in Burbank was looking for a PR intern. And I remember taking down the sign and it wasn't even a sign. It was just an eight and a half by 11, like little paper. And it had it written down and it had the name of the person and the email and the contact and not email. I'm sorry, just the contact information. And I reached out to them. I had an interview um, and they hired me and I was an intern, non-paid intern for, I want to say almost a year while I worked full time as a manager at a store at a retail fashion store because I wanted to work in fashion. And that was how I got my start in PR because once they offered me a paid job from intern to paid job, I'm like, I am ready to look for a paid job. So I started looking for a paid job. Um, there was the help wanted ads. I don't know if you remember that. There's help wanted ads. <laughs> and I remember like. Yes, back in the stone age when we were it, scratching out our messages in the oh sand. With the it is hilarious because it wasn't even that long ago. It was like 20, 20 years ago, right? So I started looking okay. for work and there was an ad that stood out. It said something about like looking for a communications specialist, a communication specialist. And I faxed them my resume <laughs> and I got a call um, to schedule a phone interview and no, to schedule an in-person interview ended up being that I had a phone interview while I was trying to schedule this interview um, and in person. And it was a really nice gentleman also from the South. So it must be a Southern thing. And He's, he claims that I showed up with pigtails and Ked's tennis shoes to my interview and that he knew. I find that very hard to believe. And that he thought. That you had on Ked's. The hair, I'm not sure. But I find it very hard to believe the, that you wore Ked's to oh an interview. Oh, my God. There were leather Ked's if I was wearing them. <laughs> and he, this is what oh I'm saying. Oh, my goodness. And he swore that nobody else would hire me. He's like, nobody else is going to hire you. You're awfully young. You're super inexperienced. You don't know what the heck you're doing. So he decided, like somebody else had given him a chance to give me a chance. And he fought against, like, the executive director um, and then program managers. And it was a job at the American Lung Association. Um, and I was hired to do communications 
But again, this is how I started to do the entertainment campaigns, to do the youth campaigns, to do anything related to Hollywood. They were doing like an anti-smoking in Hollywood movies campaign. So anything to do with like fashion or entertainment, I was the person that was hired to do it. And since I didn't go to a journalism school or a communication school or had a marketing, I'm sorry, or had a PR degree, my boss literally would stay with me after hours to show me how to write a press release. And he would read, awesome. he would red mark the heck out of it until I got it right. He helped me start developing relationships with media, with people. He um, explained to me the importance of a relationship being something of a long-term, you know, process and versus something transactional. He taught me how to help before asking for someone to do something for you. So a lot of who I am professionally and even personally, I owe a debt of gratitude to Kent because he didn't have to do this. He could have very easily hired someone else that had experience that he didn't have to stay after hours to tell them how to write a press release, to explain all these things. And instead he took a chance on someone that didn't know what the heck that they were doing. And also somebody that was really sheltered. I grew up in the Valley. I lived with my parents through college. I didn't have the experience of living, you know, in the dorm and doing the college trips during spring break or dating and, you know, and having breakups and all that. I, I knew nothing. I was very young, very inexperienced, super green, super innocent. I mean, some of the stuff that the older woman would tell me, I don't remember exactly, but I just remember the feeling of knowing like, I'm just so young and I'm so dumb and I don't know what the hell I am doing, but I'm going to prove them all wrong. And um, <laughs> he basically said that he was training me to get my first job. How long did your PR life last? I want to say it was about 10 to 12 years, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And at what point did you start to think to yourself, it was time to pivot? I want to say that I was always at the edge of, I'm very good at what I do and you've worked with me. So you know that I was, but my, (laughs) my passion, and I hate sounding so cocky, but I always, you don't sound cocky. I'm loving it. Are you kidding? (laughs) Yeah. This is not the place to be humble. I'm always like, no, there are times when you should be humble. Like when you're eight and oh, and then you lose on Monday night football. That's the time to be humble. (laughs) This is not the time to be humble. When you're talking about all that you have accomplished in your career, Wave that, if not you, who's going to toot your own horn, right? But I do get that, right? And that's a fascinating phenomenon that I'm seeing in lots of my clients in that you will be so good at what you do and not like it. So when I was asking, you know, how you got into PR and you're like, oh, people are going to be shocked. I didn't like it. No, they won't. You would not be. You would probably be surprised at the number of people who are in careers right now. And they're like, I don't know how I got here. I mean, they can trace like their career path, but if you ask them like what skills they enjoy using or like what they wanted to be when they grew up, they're not doing it for a number of different reasons. And the thing that I find fascinating about women is we are so resilient and so versatile and so completely 
amazing <laughs> that we can become expert and really, really successful at something that we really don't like. Right, right. And, and especially so if when, you're, you're put in a position as a woman of color where you're, you're a minority in a, in a business where you're already don't exist. I mean, at the time there was, it was the, the agency I worked at. And I think there was two other agencies in LA, which is one of the largest markets. And you know, because you were out there looking for agencies and there wasn't that many, there wasn't that many people doing the, the job. So we had to do it doubly better than somebody else because there was so little business to be had that we had to do everything in our power to not just be good, but be the best because we wouldn't get work otherwise, or we wouldn't keep the clients or we wouldn't increase the budget or, you know, whatever the circumstances would be. So, and I do think sometimes we end up in a career that it was not our choice. Um, What I didn't think then that I could have done is I could have continued to work on things I was passionate about. I could have, you know, on the side, I could have moonlighted and still written scripts or still, you know, worked on, on films and done all these other things instead of just working all these years and not being fulfilled in my career, but not being fulfilled in my passions. And, uh, so was there a mo- was there an event or a moment in time or a project that made you think, okay, it's time, the hourglass just ran out and I need to do something different? I think when I was working with Disney, not with John, but on my own, I got Disney as a client and I was presenting all these experiential um, ideas to Disney resorts and we had went from Disney resorts in Anaheim and one Disney resorts in Orlando and all the different parks. And then we got ABC corporate. Then we got Disney corporate and then we got ABC channel. We started getting more and more clients. Right. And things were going well. And I was working with them for two years and everything was confidential and nobody even knew that I was working with them. And I was putting together a presentation for a um, Halloween event. And it was a Dia de los Muertos activation. And I was really excited about this. I had done a ton of research. I had spoken to what we now call influencers, but someone that did um, creative and artistic endeavors and like Phoenix. Like I had put this amazing plan together and it had been approved by two levels at Disney. And it was finally time to present it to Disney resorts here in LA. And um, she said that Dia de los Muertos was too religious. And turn the idea down. And I was. You're, when you say she, you're talking about your contact at Disney? Yeah, my contact at Disney. Uh, okay. So she had said it was too religious of an idea. She turned everything down, like everything. And I had gone from like every single project, every single plan that I had presented to not just only passing every single level within Disney. Um, and you know how it is in corporate America. You go level upon levels and you go through approvals. So I'd gone through all the different levels of approval and it was the final stage. So it was a for sure thing. It was just a matter of like, okay, how are you activating us? Let's, let's um, finalize the budget, blah, blah, blah. And instead it was like, I hate this. I hate this. this is, you know, we can't do something that's so religious um, and turned everything down. And I remember being so crushed after that call. It wasn't even an in-person meeting. It was a call and 
telling my husband how disappointed I was that something that was valuable that could be so amazing, such an amazing opportunity for Disney was being turned down by this woman that happened to be Latina also. And I'm like, I'm so tired of putting together these stories for my clients and them not happening. For Disney it was different because everything was happening, but this was just like the last straw in a series of other events or other activations that we kept getting like walls put up. Like you can't do this because of the budget. You can't do this because of this. You can't do this because of that. So um, obviously we all know what happened after that. Disney um, has a partnership with Pixar and they wrote, directed and produced uh, Coco. Now they have a Dia de los Muertos like mini activation at one of the parks in out here. So that literally happened within less than two years of me making that presentation and them saying it was too religious. So for those who don't know, I have seen Coco. I am big on, um, I don't know, I think they're probably targeted towards children, but I know them all. But <laughs> I have seen, in fact, last night I was watching Moana for like the 50th oh time. I love So, Pixar. oh my gosh. I love, I love, I love Pixar. Oh my gosh. So Coco definitely has a whole, uh, well, I wouldn't say it has a religious overtone, but it definitely was about Dia de los Muertes and it was about ancestors and history and there was a big seat in a church as well. So that's fascinating that when you were pitching, it was too religious. And then it takes a long time, right? So if Coco came out two years later, they were working on it like three years before that time. Right. So it's interesting the timing that then Coco and other things came exactly. out that were uh, close, close in theme, at least to what it was that you were pitching that was, that was turned out denied. And that was the moment yeah. where I was really disappointed, disappointed and, this are heartened and and at the time it was also like the start of social media the beginning of like Facebook as we know it and I started going on inappropriately I, I look back and I'm like oh my god it was so wrong that I did this but ranting about the lack of representation of black and Latino actors and stories whether it was in the TV or whether it was um in film, etc., and I started noticing the lack of uh, that. Every story that we saw out there was pretty much the same thing: the uh, the poor immigrant struggle story, and it just didn't make sense. It wasn't the only story. I mean, it's an important story, but it's not the only story. And I start noticing it more and more and more. So it was just during that time, um, and I had just gotten married, also, and so you go through this whole like come to Jesus like time. It was just it was a time, it was a world that we were living in. It was my experience with Disney, it was my experience with um, presenting ideas and, you know, continuously telling clients that, you know, Latinos come in all shapes and colors and we don't just coexist with other Latinos. And, you know, you're my friend, you're black, my husband is white, like, you don't live in a silo and how come ours? I'm black. <laughs> right? Oh my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> hilarious. People are like, oh, you're Latina? And they're like, from where? <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's hilarious. And you know, they're, they're not asking me like, uh, we're from Latin America. They just don't believe that I'm Latina. And you've met me. And you know yeah. what I look like yes. and what I talk like and all that. So it's it's comical, but it was just that, that time. It was the timing. It was, it was, it, you know, the universe conspired 
to push me in a direction that I've always wanted. Like I was always into film. I was always into writing. I directed my first play when I was seven and I wrote it. So it was always part of who I was. I just never had the tools and know-how um, and the support to pursue a career in the industry that I really wanted to be in. Um, and thanks to my husband and a few friends who were just so loving and um, helping me see what was what was obvious that I needed to pursue a career in film and TV. And I went back to school just to kind of test the waters. Uh, oh, before we get to school, let me ask a quick question. Sorry, I feel like I keep interrupting. No, you're fine. Um, but but you're missing um, piece, or I'm missing pieces, and I want to get okay. it. So once you knew for sure that you wanted to make a change, and I heard you that the, I do believe that the universe kind of uh, makes you uncomfortable until you're ready to do what oh, you're God, supposed to yeah. do. It keeps it keeps kind of dialing up the discomfort a little bit to say, okay, she could take that. All right, let's turn it up. And right. So I do believe that um, if we'll listen and be obedient, that it does help us guide us towards the things that we should do that like make our hearts sing. But once you really knew that you wanted to make a career change, where did you start? Uh, it was, like you said, it's, it's a very, very, very uncomfortable time when you realize you have to shift. And it's also a very lonely time because you don't want to start telling people like, hey, I want to leave the career that I've been building for so many years and I'm actually quite good at. I mean, I opened my own agency and I had Disney as a client. I had Macy's as a client. I had, you know, Corona. An award-winning agency. Yeah. You don't feel like you can say that, but I can brag <laughs> a completely, I mean, a phenomenal award-winning, super successful agency. Okay, continue. <laughs> And then had, you know, developed like the Lifestyle Bloggers um, uh, Collective and a series of conferences. So here I am like doing all the things that seem to be aligned to keep me doing this for the rest of my life. And I simply wasn't happy. Um, so it, there wasn't like a simple step of like, okay, I figured out this is not what I want to do. And then I did this. It wasn't that. It was... It was a couple of years, I want to say, where I was very uncomfortable, where I was scoring after clients that weren't a match for me and what I believed in. I mean, one of my clients was a holistic clinic in South America that claimed to cure cancer. And I mean, I would have never in a million years like picked that kind of client, but I was just kind of reaching for anything to keep me in that space that I didn't need to be in anymore. Um, I also shifted in terms of the people that I kept around me. Um, I started getting physically ill too. So it was a lot of different, the universe was telling me on so many different, in so many different levels, like it's time for you to go <laughs> and it's not going to be easy. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. And if I didn't do one thing, then another thing would happen. Like it was even difficult in my marriage. I, it was just like, it was like a really, really, really hard time of like maybe two, possibly three years um, to the point where I went to this um, yoga retreat with a bunch of women and we're like hiking and having a good time. And I don't know if I landed wrong on my foot or what I did. The point of the matter is my knee blew up to the size of a football and I had, Person. yes, it was horrible. 
And I had to sit down and two of the, the women that were there on that trip sat down with me and we started sharing a couple of glasses of wine because I was in pain and I wanted to numb it. And it was during that time. <laughs> and does wine, does wine help with me? Oh my God. I think it helps with everything. <laughs> when you needed a good glass of California, whatever I was drinking, okay. it like totally okay. helped. Um, but it helped me like relax and kind of um, get out of my, my head and share some intimate thoughts with the, the women that I was with um, and telling them that I was no longer happy doing PR. And I think that was the first time I actually said it out loud. Um, I was no longer mm. happy, you know, putting together these conferences. I was no longer happy, you know, living that life because it is a lifestyle to work in PR. And what a lot of people don't understand, it's like, it is a lot. You don't just work in PR. You're part of the PR lifestyle. So um, right. I, I just, I wasn't happy. And all of them that were there with me suggested I pursue what I was always passionate about, which was film. And to go back to school and, and, you know, take some time away from doing PR until I figured everything out. And I came back home and I told my husband and my husband was really supportive. And he said, yes, this is what I've been wanting you to do for a really long time. Just go to school because, you know, we were, we were in a really tough spot. I mean, it was a few years of, of uh, just not being happy, even being married or, being with him, with my friends, with work, with everything. So we all saw this as it's because I was pushing to get something that was really obvious. I had to transition. The universe was giving me a million, uh, it was a million signs and I wasn't even looking to make a long story short. I, you know, I worked while I was going to school. I applied to a few schools. I got into one of my dream schools, which was art center college of design and because I was literally, uh, I could literally take like get a bachelor's or uh, get an uh, get an MFA. I decided to get a bachelor's, and I was there for two years and one quarter. Um, and I created like an amazing portfolio that I felt really confident with. Uh, met some amazing professors and classmates. And within a week after graduating, I had my first gig. And other than a few little breaks here and there, I've consistently been working since I graduated. Um, that is amazing. There is so much important stuff in there. <laughs> I'm just like, I was like writing notes so quickly. I could hardly keep up. There is so much good, juicy stuff there. So one of the things I want to make sure that we don't miss is even when you had decided in your head and you knew that you needed to change, there was still discomfort there. Uh -huh. And some of the words that you used to describe what you were feeling, it was uncomfortable. It was lonely. It was frustrating. You didn't use the word, but I'm going to throw in there, there might even have been a little fear seeping in there oh, occasionally. Because if you turn away, if you turn away from what you have built to something that you have not yet built, that has to be frightening to turn your back on the known for the unknown. Oh. But I think yeah. one of the things I hear over and over is, and then also you said that after you came to that realization that you then tried to continue doing what you had been doing and it didn't work. Right. And that is a critical thing for people to get. It's kind of like if once you have opened yourself up to a new opportunity, the current situation never looks the same. Right. 
So if I'm in a job and I'm loving it and a headhunter calls me and I take the call and I let them pitch me on the new job, the job I'm in right then will never look the same, even if I don't go and pursue the job the headhunter talked about. But the fact that I actually opened myself up to this new possibility makes me think differently about the one that I'm in. Now, I may very well choose that situation all over again, but you'll choose it differently than you did before. If you send a resume out, your job is different from then on. You exchange numbers with some guy who flirts with you on the train. Your boyfriend looks different. I'm just saying that when you open yourself up to new the current looks different. Mm-hmm. So it was, un. you said you were unable to continue doing what you'd been doing that you actually didn't like once you acknowledged that you didn't like mm-hmm. it. So I find people a lot in that painful place where they're like, I've been doing this for a long time and it's been working and now it's not working. And I'll ask them, who did you tell that this isn't working? Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, what? And I'm like, Well, you told someone, you did something to shift your world. So you either told someone you didn't like it or someone told you they didn't like it. Something changed. The reason this now isn't working for you. So let's, you know, deal with what we're dealing with right now versus you trying to go and reclaim something that is now gone, Mm -hmm. right? That water has trickled on away. So there's so many important things about what you did and the time that you took to make sure that you liked. I loved that you went and took a couple classes to see. So I've always had this like romantic notion about film, but do I really like it? Take a couple classes and figure that out before you jump all the way right. in. That's fantastic. Right. And it, and it wasn't, and then initially, and to backtrack a little bit was, I didn't even admit to focusing on film. I was still focused on getting my MBA. And if I get my MBA, I will, I was still refusing to see the obvious. I, I thought that getting my MBA and working an in-house corporate gig would fulfill what I was missing out on um, and still not admitting to the fact that I really wanted to work in the film industry and I had a really strong desire and it's something that didn't happen overnight. It is something that I had been passionate about my entire, entire life and anyone that knew anything about me knew I was passionate about entertainment. I was passionate about. So if you had felt that way, Mm -hmm. sorry, if you had felt that way your entire life, why were you reluctant to admit that that's what you wanted to do? Because it's easier to do something that you're paid for. And it's a for sure thing than going into the unknown, especially. Is it? It is. It is. But is it not? I'm going to poke that one more time. Is it? It is. is. And and I'll tell you why. It's easier in the sense that um, comfort and reliability is easy. If you get a paycheck every week and and this is a for sure thing, it's easy. Going after something you're passionate about, especially in the arts and creative and cultural fields, it's really, really, really hard. I don't know of a single person unless you come from, you know, Hollywood royalty. And even so, there's stories that just did it. You're going to have to work extremely hard, doubly hard, triply hard to pursue a career in a creative career. So it is easier just to do any other job for sure. But it is not easy to deny 
who you really are. Because every day... Oh, girl, say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> it, it is not easy to deny who you really are. And like I said, I think it was before we went into the podcast, um, that if I would have had the strong sense of identity that I have now, the str- a stronger sense of identity as I have now, I could have easily continued to work in PR while pursuing a film um, career outside of my regular nine to five, similar to what Ava DuVernay did. Um, Ava DuVernay shot her film while still working in PR. Granted, she was doing strictly entertainment Hollywood PR versus I was working with corporate clients doing their entertainment, you know, outreach type campaign. So it's a little different, but still I was in that world. If I had that sense, if anybody has that sense of what they're really passionate about and they know they can't make, you know, their 100% income from this yet, doesn't mean they'll never be able to, then they can moonlight. And it's going to take a lot of work, but everybody needs a roof over their head and to be fed and have clothes on their back um, while they're pursuing what they really want to do. Now, I have the fortune that my husband has a full-time gig and that he supported me because even though I've been consistently working and I have breaks, the, you know, the lights and the, the lights in our place and the food in our fridge is not reliant on my paycheck. If it was, it would be an entirely different thing. So it is simpler to stay in your current spot that is, um, I say more guaranteed, but I say that, I mean, you were working at a place and your big client left and you got laid off. So I think nothing really is stable, but it's easier. It's simpler rather to stay in your current gig. That's kind of feeling more guaranteed than it is to go out on your own, especially in the creative arts. I buy that. Mm -hmm. The important, the thing that I really sparked to though, was it gets more and more difficult to deny who you really are. So I think it is simpler, but it's not easier. Right. So a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember who I was talking with on the show. I have to go back and look at the episodes, but we were talking about how, oh, I remember it wasn't a couple of weeks ago, but I was doing social media for an episode. I think it was 56 with a woman named Ty Goodwin. And she was talking about how if you live a life that's not aligned with your purpose, things are more difficult. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how, um, we'll do all sorts of things to make it better to go to a job that we hate. So when you were saying, oh, it's easier to stay where you are, I was like, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't mm-hmm. because you do things in order to make it feel better. But I'm totally not underestimating the uncertainty of building a new career in a completely, it doesn't even have to be something independent in entertainment, going to a different company. There are challenges there, right? Any big pivot has challenges, but I think it also has big rewards if what you are doing, honestly is not what you really want to oh, do. Absolutely. And you said something very important, how when you're doing something you're not meant to do and you're not happy doing, it's a struggle, right? And when you are doing something that you are meant to do and that you're happy doing, the universe conspires to make it happen. And I put that on social media like all the time, like I'll meet the most random of people everywhere, like walking down the street with my dog. I met this woman who's a producer who 
has lived here for, I don't know, as long as I have, but I've never seen her. And she's like, send me your script. I can send it to a producer. It doesn't mean anything will happen, but it means that, that I am now in a position where the universe is bringing, and it sounds really hokey, so some people may not believe it, but I, I do believe that if you're in the right place and you're in the right headspace, the universe conspires to bring the people that are aligned with you and your purpose. Um, and if you want to hire power, whatever you want to call it, to help and support you as you grow within your career and within your life. And I see this on a weekly basis, like every single week, Sometimes there's a week where every single day I meet like a random person, I get a random email, um, like even from you, like we, you know, we've talked on social media up and on, we haven't really talked on the phone in years, but we've stayed in touch through the years. And it was only recently that you reached out about your, um, being on your podcast and the timing couldn't be better. So the universe is always, I feel if you put it out there, it comes right back to you twofold, threefold or, or whatever, but you have to be ready. And, you know, for me, it took me to two to three years um, to get to that point where like, I need to go back to school. And it, I still wasn't even admitting to, and I want to focus on film. <laughs> and, and then it still took like another year from there. So it, it may, I don't think we can push ourselves to like, you got to make this change. you got to be in the right headspace. Like everybody's going to do it in their own, in their own time. Um, and although Hollywood is ageist, uh, I've met a lot of people that are way older than me. I mean, yesterday I met with HBO <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we, this is not the place for your first job. This is a place where you come after you've done several things. So in other words, they're looking for people that are, you know, mature and older. So there isn't, although Hollywood comes off as, oh, it's so ageist. And I'm not saying it is, isn't, but there is still opportunities for people that, you know, they want to go back to school. They want to start over. They, you know, they figured it out a little bit later in life and, and that's totally fine. I mean, when you figure out what you want to do, that's, that, that's the right time. That's all you need to know. I love that. Here's the thing that I was giggling about in my head, not out loud as you're talking. Because it's so obvious to me that you are completely confident in what it is that you're doing now. Right. But even in that, you have good days and bad days. Oh, yeah. So like, what do you tell your, right. Okay. I'm just, it cracks me up when people are like, oh, if I just do this one thing, then everything will be perfect. And I'm like, honey, I'll, on what planet, honey? Because I would, I mean, I would like to visit. <laughs> Where if you make one decision, then everything is perfect thereafter. It just feels different. Right. So understanding that you're confident in what you're doing. What do you say to yourself when you have setbacks? Oh my God. I mean, even yesterday when I had that big meeting and it was a great opportunity. And then I walked out of there, like it was a good meeting, but she also said, this is not the first place to come to. You have to have like a, a lot of experience, a big res, a long resume, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Oh my God, she probably thinks I'm a loser. I shouldn't have been here. So I went from like this high to like this low and then I had another meeting that somebody else made me feel good and I felt really positive and sometimes I, I feel that you have to be in, in that space like you can't push away anything negative because then you're denying the you're denying the wide range of feelings that as human beings we're supposed to have you're supposed to be angry you're supposed to be sad you're heartbroken disappointed like you're supposed to feel the spectrum of feelings and that's absolutely okay 
And I think I've been better with my anxiety, um, better with, you know, depression. Once I stopped fighting the feelings that were coming to me. So when I felt like a loser and disappointed and I wasn't ready, I let that steam inside of me for a bit. Didn't fight it off. Didn't talk to anybody else. I allowed it to be there. And then when I was done with that feeling, I was done. Um, I don't, I don't fight it. I just, you know, go with it. Um, and I'll even tell my husband, um, I'm having a bad day today. I really don't want to talk. I want to watch mindless TV. Um, I avoid certain people that try to fix shit and tell me like, no, 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 you're better than that. You're so good. You can do this because sometimes that makes me feel worse because wait a second, I don't feel like I'm better than that. And I can do this. And I'm in that space right now. So I just, I'm in that moment, whatever. I mean, if it's more than 24 hours or two days, then I, you know, that's not healthy, but I think a few minutes of that is, is okay with me. Um, if it gets where I'm like really heated up and I can feel like my heart racing and like a little heated in my body, um, I go to the gym and I work it out. Um, and I'm not like a hardcore workout type of person, but it feels good to sweat it out. Um, I go on a walk. Uh, I watch mindless TV. I have so many books right next to my reading chair. I just, you know, I pick one of my books. I'm right now um, because I open like a million books and sometimes I read them all at once. I was like, readers do that. We're reading more than one book at a time. It's usually like nine or 10. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. I started with this side of my bookcase are the books I'm currently reading. And now it's like, oh, the whole top (laughs) is books I'm currently reading. So I'll I'll do that. I'll do that. Sometimes I'll do mindless social media. I mean, you have to be really smart about that because you have to clean it up. And I did a lot of the cleaning up on on social media a while ago, not because I hated somebody, but because I needed it to be a safer space for me. And it's not that, you know, I don't, I want to tune out what is happening, but I want to see it when I'm in the right headspace to do it and not be reactive to the world there's all these like little signs. So, you know, that you're on the right, on the right, on the right track to um, accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish. And I think one of the most important things is I keep reminding myself it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, Everybody's going to accomplish what they're going to accomplish in the right timeline. So I think what I heard was how you manage setbacks and the emotions that go along with that are, um, you let yourself feel them. You don't run away from them. Yes. You let yourself experience them. You don't let it go on too long, though, to the point where it's damaging. But you let yourself feel them. You absolutely plug into self-care. And that looks different for all of us. For you, it looks like reading. And you called it mindless TV. I'm really tempted, but I don't want us to get too far off track to figure out, what are you watching oh, in those moments? Totally but go, you, totally you, you focus. And then there's, and let me, let me clarify that too. There's mindless TV. That's the TV that you can watch and you don't need to focus on it. It, it could just play in the yeah. background. And then there's the, oh, yeah, I got and then that. There's the TV that you're like, oh my God, this is so good. I can't do anything else for the next three or four hours. But watch, but watch <laughs> this because if I do, I'm yes. going to miss that moment when, you know, this happens. So there's mindless TV and then there's like that engagement TV because we are living 
in like the gold era the diamond era of TV. I mean, there's so much good TV. We can have a completely different podcast just on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I did a podcast uh, several weeks back. Gosh, it could have been a month or so ago now. But I was talking about how if you change the content that you expose yourself to, your life will change. Oh, God, yeah. And I was talking in that time just about good podcasts to listen to. But yes, I could do that for television as well. Or film. Now that I know, oh my God, film! You know that I've. But I want to make sure that I, I want to make sure I grab those. So you um, absolutely let the feelings come. You focus in on self care. But the other thing was the third thing that I thought was truly magical was, and then you connect back to what it is that you're working on, like what your big goal is, and then you re-energize your belief that that thing is coming and that it's worth it. Absolutely. Those weren't your words, but that's what I heard. Yeah, and that's and that's literally it. You gotta remember what the big picture, the big story, the big goal that you're working on. Like for me, it is literally I went back to school not just because I love film and this is what I want to do, although I do, is that it's much bigger than me. It's the story of film and what it does for society and what it does for a culture and how I can put in my own two cents to impact not just current you know the people that live now but future generations with what I create and produce and write I mean that's huge that that's bigger than me and I want to be a part of that so many times people are like oh I want to make a film because I want to make you know make money and I want to be the next Spielberg and make you know Jaws (laughs) and they just like looking at it like super super tactical and Some people, you know, they make a career out of it and we all know who those people are. And then there's people that create things that are much, much bigger, that influence a culture, that influence like the way we see society and how society moves and changes and just does these magical things with like cameras and and images and acting and words. And you're like, oh my God, this, this is art. This is you. I want to be part of art. I want to create art, and I want people to, when they see my work, they they look at it a second time or a third time, and then they see a different layer and a third layer, and like, oh my god, this is awesome. So, the, how can I see some? Oh, I thought I sent you a link to one of my films. If I didn't, I will send it. No, <laughs> and I think I deserve an award for patience oh because god. I wasn't my usual. I wasn't my usual New Jersey self. Like, hey, I've asked for this twice. What up? Oh, I didn't do that. God. Right? I'm trying to be not like that. I'm trying to be the, the non-LA filmmaker person that sends everybody their script or sends everybody their film and like, please watch it. Oh, please no. Watch it. So I... Yes. If you send... And is the link that you're going to send me public? Because I will include it in no, the show. No, it is absolutely is. private because I recently... Okay, all right. It was recently acquired okay. by Shorts TV. So it will... Oh, yay! Yeah, my short film was acquired by Shorts Congratulations. Thank you. So it is going to be broadcast on Shorts TV, on DirecTV, and on their app, et cetera. So other people will be able to see it. And then... Uh, so I can only see it in my own home with my own snacks. Yes, yes. And it's... Okay, it's, but yes, send it. I promise. I will... You know me. I will take care uh, of it. But um, I would you. love to see thank that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, produced and wrote and directed... You know, this is not the first. I did several. I can't wait. Oh to my see god, that. I'm so excited! I thought you had seen it. It's craziness. I, I'll no. send you a link so you can see it. But okay. um, 
I'm working on an art house dance film and actually sent out the first rough cut to a few people and I've been getting like really good feedback. So I'm trying to finalize that one. Um, I have a short that I'm meeting with a potential lead actress actually on Thursday um, to discuss her role in Lola, which is a short that deals with medical and plus size bias. Um, yeah, so it's pretty, it's pretty deep. I, I can send you the script so you can read it. Um, and I've gotten, that's the one that won um, at the Oaxaca Film Fest. It was a finalist and then it won in another film festival and I haven't even produced it yet. Um, so not just award-winning public relations, award-winning award winning filmmakers. <laughs> See, you. again, you would not brag on yourself, but I just have to go ahead on and say that. And I'm going to ask a completely unfair question. What's your favorite film? Oh my God, it's so unfair. <laughs> so I know it's unfair, so let me make it even more unfair. So I want to know your favorite film of all time ah. and your favorite film. Uh-huh. Ah. Wow. Don't wait, 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 because you're going to be really mad. I want to know your favorite film of all time and your favorite film of the last five years. Oh my God, I hate you oh so much. <laughs> oh my God, there's so many because again, but I love oh you. Oh my God, I love you too, but oh, I would, I've been telling people over and over and over because I'm a geek and you know this, I'm, I, I admit to being a geek, geek, admit to being a nerd. I've watched films as long as I've been alive, black and white, international, um, subtitles, no subtitles. I've watched them all. I really enjoy cinema. And the one film that absolutely changed my life and I was like, this is what I want to do is The Bicycle Thief by DeSica. It's an attack. Okay. Yes. And I always, I've seen yes, it. And I always tell filmmakers, if you're a filmmaker and you haven't seen The Bicycle Thief, I hate you. You need to see The Bicycle Thief. <laughs> Absolutely. Positively life-changing, black and white, late 40s, the most, one of the most beautifully shot films of the time for several reasons. Um, a lot of people watch cinema now and they think, oh, we've been able to carry cameras in our hands for always. And that wasn't always the case. And this is one of the first films. I think it was the first film where the camera was actually taken out of the studio, out of you know the stage okay. and was out in public and used um, real people as actors. And it's a type of acting that mm -hmm. I like where it's not like over-dramatized and theatrical, which a lot of people like, but I like the more natural type of acting where it's really interesting. It was very, um, I saw it a long time ago, but it was very nuanced. And because of that, it was so, it drew me in more than the, I won't say overproduced, but then the highly produced stuff. Right, right. And there's a space for that too. You know, we all, hopefully yeah. people like Gone with the Wind. And we all know when she's, when she's. I've never seen You've that. never seen Gone with the Wind? Oh my no. God. You, and I understand why. I don't think my people. I don't think my people enjoyed that movie. I, I, I know, I know, but uh, so she that was documentary like, that Ava DuVernay about did about the Central Park Five, like girl, oh my God. girl. I think you saw my post, girl. I saw like the first like fifteen twenty minutes, and then I'm like, I can't see this. This is too much. I that was me. I'm like, I can't see me. it, so I couldn't even. And I checked in with not my black girlfriends, but my black guy friends. And I checked in with them more um, during, you know, the 
the heightened period of it's out and everybody's seeing it. Um, and it was just a very hard time um, for a lot of people uh, just like in your soul. It was like, how did we allow this to happen? Um, and it got to the point where my husband and, you know, he's white, your audience doesn't, my husband is white and he's from Chicago and he, he's always like so removed from everything. Cause he lived like a very privileged life. And then he met me and, uh, I'm not militant, I'm not militant, but I'm not militant, but in my own nice little corporate speak, I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> that's so wrong. You know, and now he notices like if a panel doesn't have women or it doesn't have women of color, like. He's starting, you know, he's starting to have like a broader awareness of the world. So when we saw, when they see us, he literally had to put the movie on pause to pretend to go to the bathroom, to pretend to grab a glass of water because it was, and at like the last two, disturbing. it was so disturbing. And then by the last two episodes, were, which were harder, um, he literally was crying. As you have started talking about films, your whole voice changed. Your whole energy changed. Your voice changed. Everything in you lifted <laughs> magically. Did you feel no, that? I it was in such sharp. It was in such sharp contrast to when you were talking about corporate stuff. And we did some really cool stuff with Tricks and Betty Crocker and all the other brands, right? But I'm just saying that. And you had, I mean, amazing career, award-winning, all that good stuff, right? So outside looking in, huge success, but completely different tone of voice. Now, maybe that's just because that was longer ago, <laughs> or maybe it's because now you are totally in your lane and it feels completely different when you talk it's about it. It's probably because I'm in my lane. I mean, I, I really um, silenced my voice for a very, very long time to make others feel comfortable. Um, not Ooh, girl, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. Yeah, a lot of people never appreciated or understood my fascination with film and how it was shot and how people were talking, um, writing stories. I mean, my dad would knock on my door when I lived at home and say, nobody's going to pay you for writing. Nobody's going to. Mm. You know, so nobody. Was that in response to a question or he would just suddenly feel compelled to he share? He would suddenly feel compelled to share. He's the Latino older male, God rest his soul. And okay. that is, you know, the way male of a certain age are Latino males. Uh, stereotypically speaking okay. are, they will share their opinion, whether you want to hear it or not. Um, I just wondered, was this part of a conversation? No, they, or he would just suddenly, no, okay. he would suddenly knock on my door, go in and, and be like, you know, nobody's going to pay you for writing, go to bed. Like it's not because I would stay up writing oh. on, on a little Mac computer or whatever. And um, yeah. if you had one piece of advice to give to a listener about conquering fear to make a big career pivot what would that advice be um ooh, that's a big tall question it is hi oh, girl I, I would say that <laughs> i pulled a muscle i pulled a muscle oh, of God, like, of course you have to ask me like something super hard I, I think like i told you before you can't fight fear you gotta you gotta accept the fear when it happens and then give yourself a timeline of like how long will you allow this fear to live within you um, before you get back on track to remember why you're doing it, whatever it is that you're focusing on, why you are changing careers, why you're moving jobs, why you want to focus on what you've always been passionate about. Um, and, 
you know, obviously you got to take baby steps. You've got to remember that, um, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint and that everybody's timeline is going to be different than your timeline. That was like the perfect summation for the conversation. I'm not going to ruin it by trying to add to it. I'm just going to say thank you so much for coming today and pouring all this juicy goodness into my audience. If they want to find out more about you and your work or just connect to your energy, what's the best way for them to do that? I have a website. It's Anna Lydia. Monaco Productions, and you can find me on all social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram under Anna Lydia Monaco. And my email is Anna Lydia Monaco at gmail.com. I'm always open to talking to other women, especially women that want to get into the creative industry or want to work with me or want to, you know, just, just do something grand. I'm always looking to build. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you did, please share it with a friend and let them know how they can subscribe so they won't miss a single episode. I hope you have a powerful week and I'll catch you next time.